as an institution, we are supporting such students who want to try. Because even if the student comes after two years and says, guys, I did it, uh, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't kind of crack. Can you help me with, my, with a placement? We should kind of be taking this student with open arms and saying that we are there to support you to get a job. So, so you have to create those safety nets. Hello and welcome to Fixing the Bug, powered by Code Quotient. A podcast where we talk about coding and everything related to it, be it market trends, education policies or jobs. In today's episode, we have with us Mr. Sachin Jain, who has been working in the education sector for over 15 years and is currently the country head for Sintana Education, an organization that helps universities transform their students with better tools and resources for education. So, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you, Shivani. Thanks for having me here. Look forward for engaging conversation. Yes, I look forward to the conversation as well. Thank you for giving us your time. And so, we will start from the beginning. You have been in the education sector for over 15 years. What made you venture into the education sector? Interesting question. So, it's not something by design. I think it was it was an accident. And that accident happened in Ernst Young, where I was part of the MA practice. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, we felt that there's an opportunity uh, with education being uh, looked at as a as an investable kind of category of, of industry. So that's how it started. And there was a team that was built up to kind of look to set up the education vertical at Ernst Young. So that's how my journey within education started. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of went through multiple. Uh, Phases, I would say, as a banker at EMY, then as an MA head with Edicom Solutions, set up universities, built new universities, new universities in the last 15 years. But uh, I think, uh, besides the journey or my personal journey, I think there are two or three fundamental beliefs which kind of makes me stick and makes me bullish about this sector. I think this is uh, this is one uh, sector which which has got a great and a very critical social impact, and and I think that's 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 one of the key uh, for for countries like India, where the vision of the government is to transform into knowledge economies. Mm-hmm. That cannot happen unless when you have high quality, high high grade education across the entire spectrum. So so I think the impact on society and for people like me as well, it is the education which has brought me where I am today. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. So so that, that to me is one. The second I see is the is as I said, it's it's a big country. Currently, we have got around forty million four crore students in higher education, and at a GR of twenty seven percent, which means that from school to college, rough only one out of four really make it. The remaining three won't even make it to a college right. or to a higher education program. And if that changes the way government is kind of pushing and Mm-hmm. And kind of looking at new ways of, of bringing higher education closer to the population, uh, this number can grow from 40 million to 60, 70 million in the next 15 years, which is which will make India the largest higher education market in the world mm-hmm. ahead of China. So, so that is a huge opportunity uh, for India for 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 all kinds of institutions engaged in education in India. Mm-hmm. So I was asking, you said that government is formulating some policies. So this gap of people going for higher education is bridged. What do you think government should 
add on to this like what would your suggestion be to the policy makers to bridge this gap at a good pace the government is already doing uh, some of that online regulations that came out in 2020 i think is one big leap in terms of bridging that gap now where online mm-hmm. education not only improves access but also access at 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 a lower cost and that is what india needs because not everyone can afford to be in a full time uh, degree program in a college in a university mm-hmm. there are a lot of these people who want to take higher education but do cannot afford that so a high quality online higher education actually uh, bridges that gap and solves their purpose so i think that is one key area uh, the second is in terms of helping universities in growing both at scale as well as on quality the nirf uh, ranking framework the accreditation framework the way online education is being opened up to proposed to be opened up to autonomous colleges there are whole host of measures that the government is working on in parallel to really bring access of quality higher education at scale uh, to indian uh, higher education learners to the indian learners so i think there's lot which is happening uh mm. and and i must say that what has happened in the last probably couple of years uh has not happened in the last probably a decade so mm. so i think important is to for some of these measures to really pan out uh, to to really take the shape uh to and then only we can see the impact of of them in terms of improving the uh, engagement rate and gers in it So what I have seen is, though there is this prospect of online education and it expanding, the children, that is the students and their parents, do believe that online education still does not have as much impact as in-person interaction would have. So what's your view on that? It it is a change. It is mm-hmm. it is something which is I would say not completely incorrect. Uh, the way online education uh, was uh, was kind of set up. in the initial years in india mm-hmm. uh, obviously the, the focus on 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 quality outcomes was limited but i think that is changing if you mm-hmm. look at the entire uh, upskilling uh, working working population that mm-hmm. are going up for these upskilling programs there is a huge focus on outcomes because nobody will sign up for a upskilling program unless it actually it translates into tangible outcomes for the learner and i think that is also not transcending Mm-hmm. to uh, to to this uh, obviously outcomes uh, teaching learning outcomes will be critical and at the end of the day programs and the universities education institutions that are offering mm-hmm. such programs with a high focus on quality and outcomes are going to be the winners in this in this mm-hmm. so it's, it's 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 a slow process it is changing it is evolving and it will change over time that has been the experience even in other markets it's not that india is unique or india is different online mm. was perceived as a poor cousin of face to face education 20 years back but in some of the western markets now online is as good as face to face education and online has got its multiple i would say elements it's not that it is fully asynchronous there are elements of engagement there are elements of very uh, kind of high quality engagement with your peers with your faculty with industry which are built in into these online programs that really bridges the gap 
of mm. what you would otherwise experience in a face-to-face education. That's right. Uh, so, you have it's Santana Education and it is in association with Arizona State University. Can you tell us more about the partnership? Sure, uh, love to do that. So, uh, before I get into the partnership, Shivangi, what I must share is that mm-hmm. if you look at the difference between great universities and good universities, the difference is the access to resources. And those resources could be mm. research, could be academic, could be non-academic. The entire mission of ASU Santana Partnerships is to make some of these good universities great by providing them access to the resources which otherwise are not available to them. Mm. And that's where ASU plays a critical role. ASU is the largest public university in US. It has got 1.5 lakh students mm. currently studying at ASU. So it's a massive university, comprehensive university, but it's not that it was always like this. Mm. The transformation happened in the last 20 years, where an ASU from a regional university, like a Delhi university or a, or a Pune university, became a national university mm. in the US. And along with that, what is critical is that they remained and in fact improved on the quality parameters. So it is among the top 1% ranked universities globally. Oh. It was recently ranked number two globally in impact rankings by Times Education, which is about the UN sustainability goal. And it's among the top 200 universities globally. So what it has proved time and again is that quality and scale are can converge. You can marry both of them. It is not that either you go for quality or you go for scale. You can go for both. Mm. And, and if you look at the top 200 universities globally, they address probably 1% of the total higher education enrollments globally. So if total higher education enrollments globally are 250 million, Mm. these top 200 universities will not be able to address even 1%. Now, how do you translate the success of what these 1% universities have generated to a more larger set? Because that's how you can impact a much larger uh, student population base globally. And that's what ASU and Santana are doing. So, ASU Santana partnerships are essentially partnerships to make a select set of good universities globally great. Hmm. How do we do that? We, we bring them access to the world-class academic and non-academic IP from hmm. ASU and Santana, and which acts like a catalyst. So, it's a very exclusive partnership model wherein we work with essentially one university per country. We are currently presenting 12 countries. Mm. which means that we are just working with one university partner in each country because the idea is that we put all our energies in making that good university great because that's how the transformation of that university, of the students, of that region, of that country will happen. Mm. So so that's, I would say, the mission statement of ASU Santana Partnership. It is all about growing Mm. and making some of these good universities great. Okay. So, uh, I understand that the resources would be one aspect which would help make a good university great. What are the other things? Uh, the resources could be in multiple dimensions. If you look at any university, there are four pillars on which a good university, a knowledge enterprise, we call a university a knowledge enterprise. Because yeah. at the end of the day, uh, the purpose of a university, purpose of an education institution is not just to teach. It is also to create new knowledge. Hmm. Right? So there are four big pillars on which a great university rests on. And these are rankings, reputation, accreditation, which could be national and international. The second is how comprehensive a university is. And what I mean by comprehensive, what are the multiple domains 
of of study that a university offers right hmm. the third is internationality and what, what i mean by internationality internationality hmm. in the classroom internationality in terms of student experience internationality in terms of faculty experience so internationality hmm. is the third pillar and the fourth pillar is is about research innovation entrepreneurship so when i talk about resources asu and sentana bring resources and these resources are not brick and mortar resources these resources are not wherein i am bringing in a, a specific software hmm. what we are bringing in is a collective expertise that we have generated over the last 30 40 years in at asu and at sentana institutions in terms of how we can build each of these four pillars hmm. at a partner institution because for the sustainable growth of a university you need to work on all these four pillars simultaneously you right. can't just choose one over the other because if you choose just scale you can grow but then if you do not put an uh, put a focus on accreditation ranking you are not going to grow and we look at as a great institution within your region hmm. if you do not grow on internationality you can be a very local institution but today every student wants to be a global citizen every faculty wants to bring in all the best practices into the classroom into the research mm. so unless and until that experience translates into into a very tangible experience for students faculty curriculum pedagogy it will not result in in, in great outcomes teaching learning mm. and so is research innovation entrepreneurship these are very strong and important uh, i would say areas of focus which uh, traditionally at the moment have been limited to only select set of top tier universities we always hear about iits and public institutions getting lot of grants from the government and not just in india across across the world but how do we then make a public institution like asu become a mentor to some of these uh, partner universities on research on innovation on entrepreneurship and because that's again very very important from student success from being truly called a knowledge enterprise so we bring in resources comprehensively across these four pillars of a university partner for a sustainable growth of that institution right so i have uh, like i've also come across the fact that you have been amongst the earliest proponents of industry academic partnerships so can you tell us about your experience of these partnerships certainly certainly love to see a university and we understand a marketplace now quite well it was not the case probably 10 15 years ago when mintras and flipkarts were not in existence mm. or amazons were not in existence in india i call a university a marketplace mm. and it's a two way marketplace and on one side you got learners and on the other side you have got this recruiters of talent right and and i extend uh, academic partnerships beyond industry what i mean by that is the recruiters of talent could be startups could be public policy groups could be government could be anybody else who is looking for talent now unless and until we bring all that into a university hmm. it will be it will be like a island wherein it is not really interacting with the outside world in terms of what's really required to be taught in a classroom what kind of experiences a student needs to be given during his or her program or or study hmm. to really become fit as a talent and i think that's the key that's the key that i believe when we talk about industry academic partnerships and in 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 my previous institution we were the earliest adopters of industry academic partnerships wherein with the largest it company in the world we created an academic partnership 
which created a totally different paradigm of uh, industry academic partnerships, so on and so forth. So, but I want to extend the academic partnerships beyond just industry. It could be with uh, multiple other stakeholders, recruiters of this talent. The biggest reason for that is at the end of the day, universities of tomorrow mm. and universities of today, for our tomorrow, will be differentiated based upon the outcome. Right. How how good the, the the graduates from that university are in terms of research, in terms of uh, skills, in terms of uh, other uh, competencies. That's what is going to differentiate the university, and that's where the in- engagement with all these stakeholders, bringing all their uh, feedback into the curriculum pedagogy, into the experiences, makes these graduates more capable mm. and more kind of in in line with the expectations of. This larger ecosystem. Okay, so um, I want to understand who these other stakeholders are. I understand one would be recruiters. The other can be someone who would help with the research or wants the research to be done. What are the other stakeholders? Who are great they? question. So, uh, and I'll give you an example. Government is a stakeholder in terms of setting up a university, but even in terms of recruiters of talent, mm-hmm. there are so many programs. And I'll, I'll just name one. Ashoka Fellowship Program, or Ashoka has created a very specific program with Haryana government, which is Chief Minister's Good Governance Program, mm-hmm. wherein they, there's a one-year program, wherein it's a very specific program on public policy, wherein these students are then mm-hmm. deployed into each of the districts in Haryana to work with the local administration on on public policy initiatives, on, on various policies, on various schemes that government have and have rolled out and what is adop- adoption, what are the what is the feedback, etc. etc. So it creates a very strong area of focus, area of specialization in public policy, both in terms of governance and implementation. And, and I just give you this as an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are multiple such ideas or there are multiple such areas. Right. So the idea is kind of to understand what does a stakeholder want. Mm-hmm. Government is looking for for, for help in terms of understanding how the policies, how those schemes have been perceived, adopted, what are the positives, what are the negatives, how these can be improved, how the leakages can be kind of taken out, etc. etc. There's a huge, huge market of, of such programs that mm-hmm. focus on public policy implementation, on governance, right? So as you engage with with a larger set of, a set of stakeholders to understand where do they need mm. uh, the talent, what kind of uh, pedagogy, what kind of uh, teaching that is required for them to be really uh, good for s- such roles. That's how you create programs and that's how you kind of address those needs in the market. Mm. So I understand uh, that these partnerships that are possible beyond the recruiters would require a bit of technological combination in order to have it formulated quite easily as per my understanding i don't think everybody would be come and visit the particular institution and then carry out all the procedures so what do you think these digital transformations how important does the technology has a role to play in the colleges and the university sector great question so uh, i i'll answer in two parts the first part is that it is i would say the role of a higher education institution hmm. to reach out to, to all these stakeholders, right? Because at the end of the day, consider a university as a producer of talent. Right. Now, for, as a produ- producer of talent, I need to understand what the market requires. 
and it is not that the consumer is going to come to a university to, to ask do you have this or do you have that mm. it is the other way around where a university has to go reach out understand and that's what this outreach to these various stakeholder is really required mm. and that will create lot of such unique programs addressing very specific needs of these uh, stakeholders so yeah. that's one part i think first for the colleges or the universities to be able to cater to the needs of the different stakeholders they have to do their basic research and then formulate such systems such absolutely syllabuses absolutely one is the basic research to then bring them into your education hmm. into your board of studies into your academic council take their feedback hmm. bring them in into your student success journeys in terms of when, when a student is shaping up through interviews you can figure out where he or she has strengths and where he or she is lacking and that can go back again as a feedback into the teaching pedagogy to really work on on those areas so so there are multiple ways in which you can engage with these stakeholders mm. at a at a program formulation stage at a program outcome stage etc etc mm. understanding where where the market is heading what kind of talent gaps are we seeing in the market Hmm. Uh, in the industry, in uh, among the various stakeholders, uh, what could be those new programs or interventions in existing programs? Because not necessarily it's about creating a new program. It could be interventions hmm. in the existing programs, like what uh, Court Quotient is doing, uh, what Arun is doing. He's he's trying to bridge that gap hmm. in the curriculum in existing programs by enhancing the skills around coding. So, so he figured out an area, which is which is kind of he's right. stopping up on an existing program. It's not that he's creating a new program completely, but that kind of improves the skills, specific skills of the students of the graduates in a specific area, which bridges that gap. So, the idea is to identify uh, mm-hmm. such gaps, which can translate into new programs, which can translate into additions or interventions in the existing program, and then kind of uh, take it take it from there. Right. We were also talking about the role of technology in colleges and universities. So, uh, India's per month data consumption is around twenty GB. Yes. And uh, per month. On an average, a person consumes twenty GB a month. Right. Uh, the global average, I believe, is around twelve to thirteen GB. Hmm. So you can understand the kind of digital natives we all have become. India's total internet user. Base is around seven hundred million, hmm. which is roughly fifty percent of the total population in terms of the internet penetration. Now most of it is on mobile, mm-hmm. very limited on broadband on, on, on machines, but mostly on mobile. And yes. and and similarly, we all have heard about UPI and billions of transactions every month that happen through UPI. Now what this all means is that there's a tonic shift that has happened hmm. in India in the last. Uh, Three to five years in terms of digital adoption for consumption of content, for transactions, for online shopping, etc., etc., etc. Now, mm-hmm. if I translate that into a student experience or a student life cycle in a university, we are talking about Gen Z. We are talking about these digital natives who are all smartphone users who mm-hmm. have a very for them digital is something which is basic. And now, what that really means is that universities have to now adopt. Mm. Technologies in a way different from what they were doing across the entire spectrum, wherein a learner is looking at technologies and digital solutions to really cater to 
most of is basic requirement, be it attendance, be mm-hmm. it uh, payment of fee, be it in terms of looking at the timetable, looking at recorded lectures. Gone are the days when you expect the student to really stand in a queue to pay the fee, to right. kind of stand in a in, in a library to really get an book issued because most of it is now digital, right? What I mean by digital transformation is look at digital transformation holistically. Right. What a lot of people actually talk about digital transformation is a very myopic term in terms of replacing a teacher with technology, which I think will never happen. Mm. A teacher, a faculty will remain as important in a in a higher education ecosystem mm. as he or she was yesterday. There is no doubt about it. technology will be an enabler for a university, for a faculty. Right. And that's how I see this hybrid blended experience wherein things that can be done can be automated should be automated things that should be done face to face should be done face to face so that's that's how i that's how i, I see it and whosoever has adopted have been the early movers in in adopting technology as an enabler hmm. didn't really feel the pinch when covid happened because they were already set but i think covid really pushed a lot of lot of institutions who were fencers into the mainstream by adopting technology, by looking at technology more and kind of holistically, more in, in a in a realistic manner, to really help as an enabler than as a replacement. Right. I also I also had a conversation with someone, and we came to this point that especially in the colleges, implementing online education is rather easier because almost every other kid has a phone of their own, and they have internet on, on their phone. And you do not have to teach them how to use a particular software because they're already so advanced. That's why probably implementing it was not that much of a trouble. Uh, if you are talking about the last two years, it was more by, I would say, compulsion than by choice. Hmm. And again, uh, I I do not think that what happened in the last two years is a is a normal. It was one off wherein everything was online. Right. I I don't see education institution, be it K twelve or education institution. To be fully online, hmm. I I don't see that. I see somewhere in the middle, wherein it is not fully face to face. It is not fully online. It is somewhere in the middle. And the reason is the expectations of a student from a higher education institution are also evolving. Hmm. The expectation as a student moves from K twelve to a higher education institution is an institution is a place where he or she can go interact, hmm. experiment new domains, new areas of interest. Interacts with a larger ecosystem, hmm. interacts the kind of researches. So there is there is lot of this. I would say experimentation, which a student would like to do when he or she is at the university. Hmm. What that really means is that you have to create time for all this by taking some of the learning from face to face to online, wherein in a flipped classroom approach, everybody has got a machine, a, a smartphone. Hmm. And you can go through the basic coursework on your phone at home, but more important is that engagement in a classroom to discuss what mm. you have read, to discuss a case study rather than kind of discuss the concept. Right. Because then what it does is it creates a more meaningful engagement in in the university. What is otherwise a difference between a K twelve school wherein you have got classes from eight in the morning till two in the evening mm. or two in the afternoon? That's not how we should treat a, a higher education student or a learner wherein. Unless until he or she experiments on multiple other areas, there is no way you can really shape a well-rounded profession. Mm. 
So, so I think that's the expectation from a higher education institution. That's what a learner today is, is expecting, is pushing. That is that I would say a very good friction which is happening between mm. education institutions and the learners in terms of what is the right mix and the balance, which I think will evolve, which is evolving and it will evolve. With this mix and the balance uh, statement, I also come across this fact that we have two things in our education system. A, we get the complete understanding of the course. We get a very broad education. And second is that we get some specialization, some skills. So what would you suggest the students for this? Which would be Great. the right thing? This is a classic uh, choice between what we say as potential and pedagogy. Hmm. Pedagogy is, is the comprehensive side. So, uh, before I before I answer this question, I think there are certain things that I want to kind of share with, with you. Hmm. So, uh, one is that if you look at there are thousand universities plus thousand universities hmm. in India, and if everyone is offering say fifty degree program, we are talking about fifty thousand degrees, right. right? That are that are on offer. Uh, so, so that's one element. How do we really differentiate? The same program offered in university X from university Y, hmm. right? So, so this is this is one big challenge, one big ask. Similarly, if you look at from a learner standpoint, twenty to thirty million students graduate every year from the higher education ecosystem in India, hmm. which is huge. <laughs> what that really means is, and you you would never have jobs for each one of them. Hmm. How do you really create meaningful uh, pathways for each of these? graduates coming out of the higher education system in India. Mm. Uh, with these two elements in context, the way I would answer this question is that one, this misnomer that more education is good and results in more earnings is wrong. Mm. And, the, and the biggest example is all the media reports that we read wherein PhDs are kind of taking up low-end low government jobs. Mm. If more education resulted in more earnings, then that should not have been the case. Mm. That's not that's not what it really means. What that translates into is right education mm. and what is relevant in, in the current context, in the current market. Mm. And now coming to your point in terms of skills versus comprehensive education. Mm. Do we need to make a choice between them? Should we choose one over the other or should we choose both? Mm. My hypothesis has always been you cannot choose one over the other because a skill is like a 100 meter dash. Hmm. It, it doesn't prepare you for your 40 years of your career. It prepares you for probably the next two years of your journey, of your hmm. career. But what to do after that? So unless and until you are a marathon runner, wherein you have the stamina hmm. to really run for 40 kilometers, which is really the span of your career, these skills can only take you so far. They can't kind of completely make you successful in your career. Mm. So the way I look at it is the comprehensive education, a degree in a, in a higher education institution, any degree for that matter, mm. prepares the foundation of your learning in that domain. Right. You pick up any degree for that matter, an engineering degree, a science degree, a, a commerce degree, a liberal arts degree, whatever. Now you need to layer that up as you kind of build your career from story one to story two to story mm. three. You need to add skills on top of this foundation. Now, today, as a, as a graduate engineer, I believe data science has got great potential. So let me do some specialization in data science. Now, if that can happen along with my degree mm. in, the, in the institution, super. 
If not, there are multiple other avenues like what CQ Arun are doing. They identified a skill and along with a college degree, along with a university degree, they are just adding that skill and they are mm. making a graduate excel in that. Five years fast forward, a lot of technology evolutions will happen, a lot of this coding may get automated again now. Mm. You need to get to a next level of skills to really move forward in your career. So, so on and so forth. So, I look at skills as the building blocks of your career, mm. the foundation being your degree. So you cannot really choose one over the other. You have to choose both. And that's how I, I, I look at it. Right. But even with all these um, skill sets upgrades that we do and the degrees that we have, as you said, the percentage of students getting a job is comparatively very low. So how can we bridge this gap of employment and graduation? <laughs> this will always be a challenge and this will not get resolved because Till that time, the mindset is of a job seeker. Yes. Right. Yes. That every graduate needs to be a job seeker. Mm. Believe it or not, we will never have enough jobs. And I think this is this is one area that university, that colleges have to work. Wherein before a job seeker, you become a job giver. Yeah. And then you can transform into a job seeker tomorrow. No, no problem. But that mindset that if you do not get a job, you are good for nothing. Is mm. And I think that's what I come back to my previous comment in terms of experimenting within a university. How mm. can I kind of look at a startup idea while completing my program? How can I incubate within a university for the next two years? And if it doesn't work out, probably I'll move to a job. But that experience or mm. doing something from scratch will make me a far, far better job seeker than yeah. what I, I would have been as a fresh graduate. So I think that mindset needs to change. Wherein mm. uh, there are multiple dimensions of student success. Dimensions could be obviously uh, jobs, but the dimension could also be working in a start. Mm. Dimensions could also be working with government as a research intern, mm. working with some of such great bodies who are kind of doing good kind of research in, in specific sectors. So I think that has to be expanded. Because the traditional mindset is, if you do not get a job and if, and the onus of the job is on the university, a university or a college is like a matchmaker. Mm. If you ask me in, in simple terms, there is a student and then there is a recruiter. Institution sits in the middle to really bring both of them into the same room mm. uh, for that handshake to happen. But you can't force either a student or a recruiter to really move into this marriage. So the opportunities there would be limited. How do you really excel in the opportunities is, is coming back to my uh, industry, academic or stakeholder, academic engagement. Mm -hmm. If you start bringing that live into your classrooms, into your pedagogy, believe it or not, your success rates will improve dramatically. Right. I have seen that at multiple times. We have implemented that at multiple occasions and there is no rocket science. It, it is a sure shot way to success. But that said, that still will not guarantee every student, every graduate a job. Hmm. And there are now these learners who want to try new who want to have different experiences. And a startup does not mean that you need to hit for a unicorn. Even mm -hmm. if you think of it like a content writer on a YouTube, I may have that calling wherein I can, I can be a good, um, good content writer, a, a good uh, YouTuber, a good Instagrammer a good blogger, 
which mm. is also now a decently successful career. So, so I think uh, universities, colleges also have to expand their definition of student success and what could be those various parameters. Now, if I am a, a B.Tech student, I am a science student, but my calling is into content. So, mm. along with my, my degree, if I start taking electives, programs in communication, in uh, writing, in uh, in blogging. So I'm actually making my career uh, go into that direction. Right. So And, and that's where you, uh, colleges, universities have to guide students that look at, look at multiple areas where you can make a career and not just a job. Right. This is there. But it's not only with the universities. I think we society, we as a society function in a manner where we only see job as a parameter of success. If you are working on your startup, if you're pushing hard on it and you tell someone about it, they're like, oh, okay, struggling. But they don't see it as an eventual success because the person is working on themselves. No, absolutely. And I think engaging with a larger ecosystem and bringing those case studies, Mm -hmm. bringing those failure studies and success studies. I say both. We all know that for every one startup which is successful, there are a million startups that never saw their alight at the end of the day, right? So one has to kind of look at both holistically and kind of bring bring that awareness to not only to the students, to the parents also. That mm. this is something that he or she wants to let him try for a couple of years. And we have policies as an institution. We are supporting such students who want to try. Because mm. even if the student comes after two years and says, guys, I did it, uh, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't kind of crack. Mm. Can you help me with, my, with a placement? We should kind of be taking this student with open arms and saying that, we are there to support you to get a job. So, so you have to create those safety nets. A lot of institutions have already done that in terms of deferred placement policies. Hmm. Wherein, okay, you, you use the university incubation space, do what you what your calling is for two years. If it works, great. If it doesn't, we are there to support. You need to give that positive assurance to the, uh, to the students, to their parents, that, that we are there to support, not just during the degree, but also uh, during his uh, or her journey. Would be really helpful if there is a safety net for the students. Because in college, that's what we do. We experiment with everything. We learn about new things in life. And until and unless we have the freedom to explore more, what usually happens is that we are told, if you're doing the degree, just focus on it. Focus on the studies. Maybe by third year, when we're in the fifth or sixth semester, we get an opportunity to explore the practical aspects of the course. But that doesn't happen because it's always like, Are, just study first. You're, you're right. So that experimentation, and that's what I always say, that, that experimentation should start from the first year. Right. Be it internships, be it uh, projects. And now the, the advent of online, there are so many online projects. You must be aware, hmm. India has the third largest population of profiles on GitHub. Hmm. 1.8 million profiles are from India. Now, what right. does that tell you? That People are using GitHub as their LinkedIn because on GitHub you can show your work. As simple as that. Yes. Right. So, and why do wait for, as you rightly said, a six semester or seven semester? Why can't it be done from first semester itself? That's right. Why are we just looking at a regulated internship in the third year? Right. Internship can happen in the first year itself. And the sooner that you do that, it's not necessary that you have to go to a, a company's workplace, a office to really do the internship. It could be just a project, hmm. a simple project that you can do from your class, from your college, from your university, from your home. But the kind of confidence that it gives you 
that okay, fine, I delivered something, I did something. The learnings are immense in terms of, and that's what is important. So content pedagogy side, you have to marry that with real experience. Hmm. Also, you have worked with so many universities already and the ideas that you're giving are certainly the ones which I think would do great if they're implemented. But through your journey, how has your experience been while working with the universities and helping them grow? What had the key learnings been? I think uh, the key learning is that we have to look at a university differently, which is traditionally universities have been pedagogy centric, faculty centric. The universities now are moving to student centric where the learner is at the center of, of this, uh, is the nucleus. Mm. And then you start creating layers of experience around this nucleus. The first layer being the pedagogy, because that's the core of a university. The second, as, as you rightly highlighted, is the experience. Experiences could be projects, internships, excursions could be immersions, could be whole host of these experiences mm. that a student should do. And I always say that a student the number of experience should be equal to the number of semesters <laughs> in that right. in, in that program. So if, if you're going for eight semesters, you should have eight such experiences. Hmm. Believe you me, the graduate will be a totally different person, which he or she may not have been. So that's the second layer. And the third layer is this interaction with a larger ecosystem, hmm. be it industry, startups, be it government, be it public policy, blah, 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 be it international. So, so, so that, that's how universities need to redesign the, the entire journey of a student. And mm. once you do that, it's, it starts kind of giving you results. This is all organic. So things take time to really uh, fructify and then start giving outcomes. This is not a plug and play model wherein you load a software and it starts kind of working the way you want. Mm. So you, you need to be patient and college should be this hotbed of experimentation. Not everything will work, but you will learn from those interventions that like what will work and what will not. Mm. And accordingly, then you, you readjust. And that's, that's how kind of we have done. If you ask me, of the 10 things that we implemented, only six worked. Four didn't work. Of the six, four worked probably day 10 to took day 50. Mm. So, so that's the, that, that's the hit rate, so to say. Right. Uh, but that's how you need to kind of keep experimenting, keep looking at what will add value to the school. Hmm. Like you were saying that we need to keep experimenting. Today, we, with the help of technology, we have access to everything like on Upwork, on Freelancer, on all these applications. We can go and start practicing our work if as a student, we have the passion and drive to do it on our own. But at times it happens that the children do not have the drive. So universities might integrate some methods through which they can reach out to international projects or any way that students can get an international exposure so they can understand how the world is functioning not just the the world they are in but also the world in general so if you have any tips and tricks on how important international exposure is in the growth of a career of a student and a faculty and how the institute can integrate it so first i vehemently agree with what you just said Students are students, right? They have to be guided. And the, the way you put that, Shivangi, I just loved it. Mm. That in case you have to submit the project, you have to submit the project on XYZ, right? Mm. Now, what that does is it gives you, you have to create your profile on XYZ platform. There are multiple such platforms. But 
the, the class project that you have to do in the semester has to be submitted on that platform. And yeah. that's how we will review it, mark it, give credits for that, etc. etc. And and that kind of brings awareness. Mm. That kind of makes you kind of look at how these platforms are working, collaborating, and how can you become part of that collaboration journey. And one thing leads to that. Equally important for uh, universities to integrate some of such Hmm. Uh, platform some of such experiences into the curriculum, into the pedagogy. So that's at one level. But hmm. that's specific to experience. Internationality, if you ask me, Shivangi, internationality has got multiple, I would say, shades, or multiple hmm. elements, sub-elements within that. At one level, internationality could be in terms of content. Hmm. How are you shaping up the content which has to be delivered in an online and an, or an offline mode? Does it have only Indian context or does it also have an international context of things that have happened elsewhere, mm. have worked better and how can those be implemented in India? So, so one, one level of intervention could be in terms of context because that's again the core mm. of, of a degree of, of a program at a college, at a university. The second is in terms of student experiences. Now the student experiences could be in terms of research internships, could be in terms of immersion programs could mm-hmm. be in terms of semester abroad, could be in terms of international pathways, wherein you move from Indian university to a, uh, a foreign university. Those are shorter time frame to really complete a degree, etc. Et so mm-hmm. those are some of the student experiences. Then similarly on faculty side, faculty development programs, which are more international, faculty exchange programs. A lot mm-hmm. of universities have set up faculty exchange programs, wherein faculty from two partner institutions kind of they swap uh, for a program, for a course. They co- teach a course at, at other institution, go back, etc., etc. So that also kind of, and similarly, research collaborations between mm. partnering institutions. So as I said, internationality could be at the content pedagogy level, could be at the student experience level, could be at the faculty experience level. Mm. But all of them really add value to a university, to the student, to the pedagogy, to the teaching learning. That's how I, I look at it. And it's important because uh, today, every student needs to be a global citizen. Mm. Gone were the days when you you can just kind of stay on an island and, and kind of survive. Exactly. Not, not today, not tomorrow. So you, you need to be a global citizen, which means that you need to understand how and what is happening in other parts of the world, including very basic a language. Graduates who have a second language yeah. besides English and, and, and mother, mother language, they have a 5x higher success than a, a normal graduate. Mm. Simple things. And there are four or five languages which are predominant besides English across the world. Mm. And if you kind of make one of them, you if you're conversant, wherein you can communicate, you're not an expert, you're not a translator, but you can converse with the person yeah. on the other side in his or her language, the chances of success increases multiple. Simple things. Mm. So, so internationality in the side has multiple uh, threads to it, but it has to be adopted. So universities need to open up mm. that we need to kind of look at uh, uh, internationality in a more holistic manner and, mm. and provide those experiences to our faculty, to our students, in our curriculum, in our degrees, in our partnerships to, to really bring that true essence of internationality. I think it not only adds value to our portfolio and helps us upskill and like be better at our job, 
it i think also helps in changing us as a person because our mindset when we see another culture and we see their behaviors and their rituals and everything we seem to understand that okay if we are doing things in an a manner they can also be done in a b manner and we learn to kind of adapt and change ourselves which is very required for the changing world absolutely no no two no two thoughts about it in fact i would go one step further and this is for india mm-hmm. and i'll give you a contrast here so in india annually number of foreign students who come to india for education is mm-hmm. 50000 roughly indian government is putting a lot of emphasis on study in india program for that to be successful the indian universities need to be really international in their outcome right uh, and whatever i said before in terms of pedagogy content students faculty blah 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 hmm. unless and until you have that you will not be able to become what india used to be a, a gurukul for the world wherein hmm. students from all parts of the world would come why do students go to a to to lot of western countries oxford harvard yeah to european uk us canadian australian they are very international hmm. so so and the building blocks of it is you start doing that at at your home location in in your in your in your college in your university sooner or later that will help you hmm. attract students from other countries because they will find out that while this this university is in india it is really international because whatever i need from an experience standpoint this university is giving me and probably at 20% of the cost mm-hmm. of what i would have to pay to a uk european or a us university even lower for that matter so so mm-hmm. we have a great price advantage i think if we can layer that up or complement that with great experience mm-hmm. which is which is truly international i think uh, things will change for it I think the four pillars you were talking about in order to make a university or a college international we need to focus on those four pillars the most. Yeah as I said those four pillars are the foundation so based upon our mm. understanding you take one of the pillars out you take any one of the pillars out that that foundation will collapse. Mm. So for us these four pillars are critical if you really want to have a sustainable growth of an education institution. Right that's right. So apart from all these learnings about the world and our courses and everything I want to understand like you know the next generation that would take over the world kind of a thing what advice would you give to the coming generation who are in colleges and are looking forward to bringing the change <laughs> uh, how should i put it so okay fine so uh, i think uh, i would i think we have touched most of the elements during our conversation but let me just summarize that So first is that college degree or a university degree is the foundation but you should not trade off that with only some skills so that is important hmm. use your university time or your college time to experiment to experiment with multiple things don't be shy of experiments hmm. uh, this is the time when you can really experiment on what's your real calling your calling may not be really a job seeker you may eventually be a job giver you may be a, a solo entrepreneur this is the time to experiment hmm. unfortunately the k12 education does not give us that flexibility but with new education policy especially with choice based credit system with lot of electives etc etc there is there is a whole host of experimentation that one can do during his or her time in the university college 
So do that. Hmm. Third is gain tactical skills. Those tactical skills could be again in your areas of interest. Now it could be coding, it could be content, it could be entrepreneurship, hmm. it could be public policy. You you name it. You 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 figure out. But see seek specific skills in that area just to top up your degree. That to me is number three. Number four is as I said, give yourself one experience per semester. Experience could be anything. Go for one experience, and that one experience could be hiking to Ladakh. <laughs> nice. Give yourself one experience every every semester because sometimes when we talk about experiences, because I have interacted a lot lot with parents, their first thing is okay internship. So when are you giving the next project? I said hmm. the project could be that let him just go and stay in a tent for ten days in Ladakh. That will tell him how hmm. to survive in that environment. Number of semesters in your program should be equal to number of credits and. Make that part of your 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 testimonial. Mm-hmm. Show it with the confidence and courage to whoso whomsoever you meet in that. These are the eight experiences. These mm-hmm. are the six experiences that I have garnered during my college degree. Right. And believe you me, the person will not look at the degree only. He or she will look at all the experiences that you. And that's about it. And as I always say, that the future is also about specialization. Hmm. future is not about a general degree so go for specialization generally the western education talks about specializations at the graduate level at the post graduate level never at undergraduate in india hmm. everything we want everything fast so we have kind of pulled it back into undergraduate level but still i always say that go for a graduate degree because hmm. a graduate degree gives you lot more nuts and bolts to specialize it's the team model So uh, a university degree, an undergrad degree, is the top of the tree. It is the broader skill sets. Hmm. As you kind of go to the to the vertical side of the tree, that's the specialization. Those those could be skills. Those could be specializations. Those could could be your specific areas of interest, hmm. which you can do as a, as a as a graduate study. Probably after two years. Probably after three years. Not necessarily immediately after college, but you should do that. And I have always seen such students. Uh, going farther, better in their careers as whatever. So, not necessarily jobs again. It could be in any domain, mm. but uh, they do far better in the longer time frame, not in the shorter time. Right. So, um, like you were telling us about this um, hiking experience, do you happen to have any such experience which makes you feel like, oh, I did that, and I'm proud of it, and I'm happy about it? Unfortunately, uh, uh, to the generation I belong, probably I won't say that I'm old, but yeah, uh, mm. our days were not that experimentation was limited. We were supposed to just focus on the studies, uh, but that's not what I am doing with my son. Mm. Uh, at least I'm I'm telling him to experiment. Hmm. but yes no 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 age is kind of i would say you you can do things at any point of your of your life of your career so what i have really picked up in the last 5 6 years is is in terms of fitness and hmm. uh, i picked up running so i'm a, a marathon runner now so nice. gradually kind of moved up so yeah so i picked up at the age of 45 but but i think that was probably the right age and it it did wonders to it did wonders to me in terms of who i am today right so yeah no you can pick up any 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 sport any activity at any point of your career of your life i don't see that to be a limiting factor hmm. but yeah would love to hike uh, would love to go solo 
also oh. such hiking expeditions so that's close to me some days certainly i hope you do that really really soon you get time to do that really soon now before we wrap up i have one very small very simple question and that is what makes you happy i work higher education and if graduates are happy if they are getting the right outcomes i think that that's a very satisfying uh, kind of experience and mm. for, for for us the culmination of everything into mm. successful startup successful research project successful uh, higher education uh, for is of students to ivy league to other good uh, universities good good jobs mm. that that's the most satisfying experience because at the end of the day the impact that it creates not just for that student or that learner but for his or her family mm. and the society in general society is, is still kind of it takes time but for a family where probably he's the first gen learner who is now moving offshore mm. to, uh, to 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 a foreign location for the first time sitting in a plane that gives you goosebumps so i think mm-hmm. that's the most satisfying experience that whatever we do because it takes time the gestation period of in, unfortunately mm-hmm. in higher education the gestation period is is long it doesn't happen overnight so you have to be patient mm-hmm. look at it for 3 4 years before things start really becoming a reality you start seeing the, the traction happening but yeah to me that to me has been the most satisfying experience Nice. So on that happy and satisfying note, I think we shall wrap this conversation up. And before we sign out, I just want to say it that anybody who has any questions, suggestion, they can reach out to us on www.codequestion.com. And Sachin sir, do you have any such portal where they can reach out to you? You can direct it to me. So happy to happy to interact with. Uh, so in case there are any questions. Arun, you can kind of just share those with me, and uh, I'll be happy to to help in whatever way is possible. All right, thank you so much for your time, Sachin sir. Thank it you. was great talking to you. Same here, Shivani. It was it was a pleasure. Thank you. Fixing, fixing the bug. Powered by Code Quotient.